0: My introductory remarks as we look at the next segment in our series, What is the Church, a faith community that worships together, is going to be a little broader as we get started in the introduction because I want us to think about the the broad concept of worship. But our time in teaching and in the Word today is going to be a little more narrow in focus. I want us to consider the corporate aspect of worship as we gather As we come to this place and assemble, what that kind of worship should look like as it will please and honor the Lord. Really today we're going to build a theology of corporate worship together. And that is critical and very important. A theology of worship is a doctrine concerning the worship of God. A biblical theology of worship bases its teaching on what the Bible alone says. Now, that's critical that we understand building a biblical theology because there are a lot of places today that will gather to worship, and they will do things that are outside of the confines of the Scripture. And of course, we want to remain true to Scripture and make sure that we are practicing a biblical theology, not just something that is captivated and dominated by preferences and whims. Just as a biblical soteriology is based on the Bible's overall teaching concerning salvation, a biblical theology of worship is based on the Bible's overall teaching concerning the worship and adoration of God. And this is important. It's important because not everything that is called worship is actually acceptable worship. A lesson learned, of course, is from the very beginning with Cain and Abel. You remember that story, I'm sure. They both brought sacrifices to the Lord, and the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor, according to Genesis chapter 4. What was Cain's problem? He lacked a proper theology of worship. Cain brought an unacceptable sacrifice to the Lord and demanded that the Lord be pleased. We all know, I'm sure, and remember how that story plays out. The church that does not operate under the biblical theology of worship is in danger of failing to give God glory and failing to offer worship that is pleasing to him. Worship is as misunderstood a doctrine as any other within the church. Contrary to popular belief, Worship does not begin and end with the singing portion of our church gatherings. Worship is also not limited to bowing and reverence before God. To begin with, worship is determined by God himself, not by our sincerity, pious feelings, or musical skill. A biblical theology of worship is concerned with the true worship of God. True biblical worship must be reverent, according to Hebrews 12, 28. We must understand who is being worshipped. God is holy, just, perfect, powerful, loving, etc. We are sinners, saved by grace, coming before a holy God on the basis of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. There is no room for pride in adoration, Also, worship must be in truth. That is, our worship must be properly informed. Unless we have accurate knowledge of the God that we worship, there is no worshiping in truth. Those who wish to worship biblically must worship God as he is revealed in Scripture. So unbiblical views of God must be rejected. A biblical theology of worship recognizes that worship involves more than externals. God sees the heart. He says in Isaiah, These people come, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that have been taught. Worship is not about ritual or artistry, although ritual and art can be valid expressions of worship. Worship is not about expressing ourselves, although David's dancing before the Lord with all his might was an act of true worship in 2 Samuel chapter 6. Worship is not about music, although music is often used by worshipers. True worship is about God. We reverence and honor and adore him, not simply because of what he does for us, but for who he is. A biblical theology of worship will result in worship that produces a change of heart. The worshiper will have an even greater desire to love and obey the Lord. Worship and service go hand in hand. Worship of God should propel us into greater obedience. Jesus said those who love him will keep his commandments in John 14. If we say we love and worship him, but we do not obey him, our worship is worthless. A biblical theology of worship leads to the conviction that worship is a lifestyle, not a moment in time. Our lives are to be dedicated to the worship and service of God. Worship is to be more than a temporary experience-oriented activity on Sunday after which we revert to a normal life the rest of the week. True worship is constant, inner praise to the God of Scripture expressed in prayer, in song, in service, in giving, and in living. So I hope that we have... Developed in our minds a perspective and even an idea and an appreciation for the broad aspect of worship. And I wanted to give it in that way because we're going to focus on just one aspect of worship today as we try to understand what the church is or what it's supposed to be. And so our focus will be a little more narrow. There'll be broader applications but I wanted us to grasp and understand and be reminded of the fact that when we talk about worship, we're really talking about a lifestyle. Do you remember what our scripture reading was? I'll just draw your attention back to it briefly. Go to Romans 12 quickly. Therefore, I urge you, verse 1, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What is proper worship? Proper worship is offering your body as a living sacrifice that is set apart and pleasing unto God. And so that involves what we do here, but it surely involves a whole lot more than this, doesn't it? Outside of here, we're to live a life of worship. Today I want to talk to you about what goes on here and how we can embrace a biblical teaching uh, for our worshiping together. All of these ideas are going to be found in the Colossians 3 passage. And we're also going to look at other passages of Scripture that will help us to develop and apply and understand these ideas. The first thing that I want us to grasp today, and I think it's central, and I think it's, it's uh, very important that we uh, look at. I'll let you guys get set back there. Just give me a signal. But the first thing that we want to look at as to how our corporate worship should look is that we need to understand, to grasp this central theme, and to really let this sink in and govern our time together, that when we worship corporately, it must be for an audience of one. And who is that audience? Well, obviously, that audience is God. So our purpose for coming together must be to to focus on worshiping him, and to have him as our audience, and to understand that the reason that we come here is really expressed very well in a verse like 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31. Look at this with me. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, there we have the all-inclusive statement, whatever you do, do everything for God's glory. So I want you to consider with me this morning, is there anything that's distracting you as you came into the worship center today, anything that's distracting you from that purpose statement, everything for God's glory? Why are you here today? Why did you choose Jenison Bible Church? If you're a regular attender or a member What caused you to choose Genesis Bible Church as the faith community that you wanted to associate with and become a part of? Why did you do that? I really think that if we were to do a survey of people who are, we'll just call it church shopping, okay? They're looking for a church, a faith community to, to become a part of. It would be interesting in this survey to try to drive down on the reasons that people would choose a particular church. Why would you choose a particular church to associate with, to become a part of? You see, I fear that our survey would reveal some things that are happening within the church culture that are troubling I really believe that what has happened to us, and I'm speaking broadly, and I'm really primarily speaking in an an American sense, in in, in a North American sense, that we have allowed consumerism to drive where we associate when it comes to church, how we associate whenever it comes to church, what we do, what we don't do, and the choices that we make are really driven with consumeristic principles. We are looking for certain things for ourselves. And if a church checks enough of those boxes, that's the one for us because we are getting what we want. And I just want to say to you that that is not a process that brings the highest honor and glory to God. Because the experience that we have here at any given Sunday or Wednesday or any other day of the week where we use this facility to gather, that whole process and, and that whole reality in our life, our church, is to be everything for God's glory. Not our own, not our own desires or preferences or opinions, but for God's glory. It reminds me of a fairly disgruntled parishioner who was leaving a church service and the pastor was greeting people at the door and as the person was leaving they looked at the pastor, shook his hand and say well I wasn't very happy with the worship today. To which the pastor very wittingly replied that's good because it wasn't for you anyway. Right? So It's for an audience of one that we assemble. And everything about this experience that we have as we gather is to be for the glory of God. Look at Psalm 22 with me. You who fear Yahweh, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. All you descendants of Israel, revere him. Praising and honoring and reverence Those who fear Yahweh are to come together and rejoice in who he is for these ends. And as you read through the Old Testament theology of worship, you don't have to go very far to see that it's all about God and not all about God's people. And the same is true today. It's all about God. How about our text passage there in Colossians chapter 3, where we are told Above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of the Messiah, let the message of the Messiah, the peace of the Messiah to which you were also called in one body, control your hearts. Be thankful. Let the message about the Messiah dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom through the singing of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Multiple references to the object of our worship and who should be dominating the time that we spend together. The theme is all about him, not all about us. And then Psalm chapter 95. Come, let us shout joyfully to the Lord. Shout triumphantly to the rock of our salvation. Let us enter his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout triumphantly to him in song. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods he's kind of saying to us there at the end there just isn't room for anybody else he is the great god a great king above all gods and he must be the focus and the reason for which we gather and when we worship he must be the exclusive audience for whom we are concerned and for whom we revere and honor and fear But what is happening in church life? What do we do here at Genesis Bible Church? I I just want you to think with me. I'm not suggesting that we're not doing this. I just want you to think about it. I want you to be a Berean Christian this morning and compare what we're learning about corporate worship and about God being at the focus of that. What happens far too often is that people become the focus of worship instead of God. People become the focus of worship instead of God. One of the things that I appreciate about both of our services that we have now on Sundays is that we strongly encourage you to sing, right? You don't come here and sit in your seat and and come to a Christian concert whenever we come to worship as a church. Now, there are some gatherings this morning that, frankly, that's what they are. There are concerts where it's not participatory at all. God's people don't sing. They they get sung to, but they don't sing with. And certainly there's a place for a concert. We had one last night that was refreshing and encouraging and and exciting. Uh, I hate to admit it, but I did attend the Senior Saints outing last night here at the church. It doesn't mean I was old enough. I, I was still way too young to do that, but I did it. And we enjoyed that time together, uh, Tom Widener and his quartet sang, and it was, it was a wonderful experience. And there's a place for that. There is. When the church gathers on a regular basis, though, we ought to come together and we should all be singing together. That, that's how God describes corporate worship. And it doesn't mean that we can't ever have someone minister to us in song, but how many of you, whenever people minister in song, find yourself singing along? How many just find yourself doing that? I was doing it last night. So if you were there and you heard any off notes, it was me, okay? Don't blame the quartet. It was really me. But that's what believers do. They, they join in. They sing with. Why? Why? Because we all gather for the audience of one. And we should all be rejoicing in him and praising him together. And it shouldn't be about skill and aptitude and being in awe of people. When we leave here, if we're more in awe of the musicians than we are of God, something is wrong with our worship experience. Something's wrong. Now, I appreciate excellence and I appreciate skill. But I don't want to be in awe of a human being and their skill more than the God who gave them the skill. Because we're here to worship God, not one another. So, we are to corporately worship for an audience of one. Secondly, we're supposed to be focused on the gospel in our worship. I love how Colossians 3 puts this again, going back to our text passage We're supposed to let this message about the Messiah dwell richly among us. And that is supposed to fuel the right kind of corporate worship. It is to fuel our corporate worship, focusing on the message of the Messiah. What is the message about the Messiah? Well, out its foundation and root, that, of course, is the good news of The gospel. That's the message about the Messiah. That Jesus came to this earth and lived a sinless, perfect life and died on the cross for our sins, rescuing us from sin. And as we believe in Him, we have that reconciliation with God and we are justified and redeemed and reconciled to God. And we have this beautiful, working, vibrant relationship with God through Jesus. And so our times of worship together are to be focused on this message. Now, when I say the gospel, I don't just mean... The fact that someone believes in Jesus and gets rescued from their sins. That's part of it. But I'm talking about the fullness of the gospel. Some of you have heard me explain this before. Some of you haven't. I'm going to repeat it again because it fits here. And I think it fully describes what our worship should be all about as we come together and worship our great God and Christ. So it does begin for most of us probably here this morning, at a point in time in the past where we became aware of and admitted our sin, and we believed the message of the gospel, and we called out to Jesus to save us from our sin. We believed in the gospel, and we experienced salvation from our sin by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. And at that moment, right, of our belief, that gift that God gave to us, enabling us by his grace, we believe, and then we are rescued from, at that moment, the penalty of our sin. We no longer owe a debt that we can't pay. Jesus truly paid it all on the cross, and at that moment, that becomes real to us, the moment of our faith in him, and we are rescued then in the past from the penalty of our sin. Now, If that has happened in your life, you are now living, of course, in the present. You are living now, and in the present, as you've been rescued from the penalty of your sin, you now are experiencing more and more progressively, as you cooperate with the Holy Spirit in your life, you are becoming more and more free and rescued from the power of sin right? You are winning spiritual victories. How many won a spiritual victory this last week? You know what happened in your life. You won a spiritual victory. Just raise your hand. Anybody? You victory over temptation to sin. You were victorious or it was something with your attitude or with your words. God did a work in you through the spirit. You won a spiritual victory. You are becoming more and more free from the power of sin as you do that. And that's what's happening presently. You know in the future, because of Jesus and because we believed in him, we are eventually going to be rescued from the very presence of sin. We're no longer going to have sin around us. It's no longer going to affect us. We are going to be in a perfect environment with perfect people who are completely glorified in the presence of God. And that's what awaits us. So when I talk about the message of the Messiah and I talk about the gospel, I'm talking about the whole complete comprehensive thing. And that focus... Ought to fuel and drive the worship as we come together. Personally, yes, but corporately. We're supposed to be worshiping together and having this impact on each other as we worship our great God, being focused on the comprehensive truth of the gospel. And so, therefore, through him, let us continually offer up to God. Through Jesus, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of our lips that confess his name, driven by the gospel, focused on the gospel, fueled by the gospel. That's how we come together to worship. In this, I want to say that it must be based on the scripture or based on the Bible. Our worship must be consistent with the revealed word of God. Everything that we communicate in the lyrics of the songs that we sing together must be found in compliance with the Scripture. Everything that we offer as a song that we sing, nothing that we would sing should reinforce bad doctrine or a wrong interpretation of Scripture. We must be careful that we reinforce only what is true. In verse 16 of Colossians 3, let the message about the Messiah dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Singing psalms. It's often been said that the hymnal of the early church was the book of psalms now obviously they didn't have what we have today but they did have those very words of scripture that were used in their worship and there's nothing better than that is there than to be able to sing the very words of scripture that have been put to music somehow and you just don't get any more accurate than that and that truly is how the early church was worshiping in their gatherings Now, I don't think that the application of this truth is confined to just the book of Psalms. I think it's okay to sing songs that that aren't taken right from Scripture as far as word for word. But I do believe that the general principle here is that any song that we would sing would need to be consistent with Scripture. Why? Because God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. If we're singing songs that communicate a bad understanding or a wrong interpretation of Scripture, then we are setting up a conflict between worship and the one that we're worshiping. Does that make any sense? Absolutely not. How can we worship God with anything less than truth? He gives us truth. And if what we are worshiping with, the means, the the, the idea of the songs and the lyrics that we are singing in our worship corporately, if those things are in conflict with the character and nature of God, how can they bring him glory? They can't. You're singing conflicting ideas back to God. That is not going to be something that he's going to receive. Like Cain, your sacrifice of praise will be rejected. So we have to insist on this. In fact, everything about our life together must be characterized by truth. Today we're talking about worship, and it must be firmly rooted in Scripture. If it's conflicting, it needs to be discarded. Now, if we come together and worship, keeping in mind this audience of one, God, keeping in mind that our focus should be on the gospel, the comprehensive nature of the gospel, and the fact that our, our song should be rooted in Scripture and consistent with scriptural truth, there will be an impact on us as people. While worship doesn't revolve around us, proper worship has a benefit for the people of God. And what happens as a result? Well, through this singing of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude, as we as we worship and and we are we are communicating truth through these means to one another, what does it say happens? So let's back up previous to that phrase: teaching and admonishing one another in all of this wisdom. And we do that by properly engaging in worship of our great God. So there are two words here. The first one is teaching, that happens. And and our worship and the things that we use in our singing, the lyrics, the songs that we use in worshiping God should inform us well about who God is. We ought to know God better as a result of worshiping together in our gatherings. It ought to teach us something about God. It, It needs to be substantive in that way. And so we need to be careful that we are utilizing the best and the most excellent lyrics that will inform us well of who God is. But then also there's this admonishing aspect too that builds us up, that edifies us into becoming what we're supposed to be for God. Have you ever joined in corporate worship? Maybe it happened this morning and you were worshiping together with the family of God, and as a result of worshiping, your heart was convicted. Maybe it's because your view of God was enhanced, and your view of self became very clear, and God convicted your heart because of something that's going on in your life, in your mind, in your heart that needs changed. You see, worship that is given through song and for God, focused on the gospel and saturated with scripture and consistent with scripture will have this effect on us. And it truly is the way the church should worship. Now, finally, the the characteristic I want to point out to you, I call it prayerful. In other words, we can never forget that our worship is to be characterized with this attitude of prayer, that we are truly talking to God. We're not doing it for the sake of other people, although there will be an impact on them. We need to make sure that we understand that worship is communication to God. Here in the assembly, yes, but also outside of here. Our life is supposed to be one act of worship after another. We are communicating to God, whether or not we treasure Him and value Him. Prayerful. We are truly doing it to him and offering it to him. That's to be done with thankfulness to God. There is that element. Thanksgiving in our heart, giving it to him and being prayerful, reverential, understanding that we're communicating through this. It's like a prayer. It is showing God and communicating to him that we are rejoicing in his excellence, that we are adoring him for who he is. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father through him. So this ought to affect, I think, the way that we come together. It ought to shape and to form our worship corporately. And if there are things that we need to look at and change, I hope that we'll be willing to do this. You know, someone rightfully said as we close out our time together today that we are here to be worshipers first and workers only second. A.W. Tozer said these words, we take a convert and immediately make a worker out of him. God never meant it to be so. God meant that a convert should learn to be a worshiper and after that he can learn to be a worker. The work done by a worshiper will have eternity in it. So making sure that we're worshiping well should precede our work. We should let this change our hearts and affect the way that we serve. Worship is giving God the best that he has given you. Be careful what you do with the best that you have. Whenever you get a blessing from God, give it back to him as a love gift. Take time to meditate before God and offer the blessing back to him in a deliberate act of worship. If you hoard a thing for yourself, it will turn into spiritual dry rot as the manna did when it was hoarded. God will never let you hold a spiritual thing for yourself. It is to be given back to him that he may make it a blessing to others. Oswald Chambers. So, worship. Individually, I hope that we'll check ourselves and make sure that we're living a lifestyle of this. And then corporately, I hope that we'll attach ourselves to the theology that we've been reminded of today and make sure that this faith community remains true to that model and true to that paradigm for worshiping together.